Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This with Junior Renee Bobrun. Uh, if you're a new listener, I'd like to welcome you. If you're a returning listener, I'd like to welcome you back to this ongoing and continuing conversation. If you have any suggestions, questions, concerns, kudos, and critiques or critiques about this programming, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com. And if you have, if you want to follow us on our Instagram, our Instagram is whoseworldisthis2021. That's whoseworldisthis2021. All right, a little bit of house cleaning. First and foremost, special acknowledgments go out to onelavi.com. That is O-N-E-L-A-V-I.com. That's where I go to get my products, my supplements, my skincare products. It's what keeps my skin glowing, keeps me in that soul glow. It's where I get my cognitive vitamins, my, my uh, Manuka honey, my Tahi honey, things of that nature. You guys go to onelavi.com. That's O N E. LAVI.com. And as I've said in previous uh, shows, I am writing and I will be finishing a book, most likely by the end of the year, if not the end of this year, then early 2022. What I am using as a blueprint to write this book and to publish this book, I am using the Essential Self Publishing Success Blueprint by Lenore Batista which was number one on Amazon this spring in its genre, okay? So it's a book about how to be successful as a self-publisher, and that book in turn was successful in its own right. That's what I'm using. That can be found at chavezhouse.com, as well as a ton of great material, journals, diaries, and planners that are part of the Lenore Batista Journals collection, which can also be found at chavezhouse.com. That is C-H-A-V-E-S house.com. Okay, so now today, welcome back, guys. I'm very, very happy to have you guys uh, back listening to me once again. Here we are in July. We are on a roll I have heard from some people via email, via text saying, June, listen, we love you, but remain consistent with the shows. I've had friends and I've had people that have become friends through listening. Tell me, dude, you have me, you know, watching reruns and listening to your shows over again. I, I want to hear some more stuff. <clears throat> I want to hear what you're, what, you, what you're thinking about and what you're going through. And you know what I mean? Um, and I really appreciate that. So without further ado, here we have a new show. I've been making sure that I'm consistent. I want to do two shows per week. That's what I'd like to do. Something for the beginning of the week to absorb and something towards the end of the week. So maybe something like um, Monday morning for the Monday morning commute. Uh, I'll have something available. But if I don't have that Monday morning show, I will definitely do my damnedest to have that Thursday morning show but i'd like to do monday and thursday and um i like the fact that i already have about three shows in the bag for july so that's saying a lot you know so um i want to get a lot of shows and i want this time next year to have you know i don't know 
maybe 70 or 80 shows under my belt, so to speak, you know, just so, you, you know, I think one can have a full understanding of what this is. I will have evolved. The show may have will evolve by then. And um, I'm excited about the prospect of what this may be a full year from now. I started in February and now here we are. We're in season two, episode 13, and we're going to name this show Girl Lost question mark or should I say girl lost with a question mark why am I naming it that why have I called it that (sighs) I'm a first generation American my mom and dad were both born in Haiti my dad was born in the city my mom was born in the country my dad was born to scarcity because his father died at a very early age, leaving his mother, my grandmother, Pauline, with, I think, eight kids to raise on her own. She was an uneducated woman. I mean, she didn't have much education, but she was very intelligent, and she did what she could to feed those children. My mother, on the other hand, was raised in a household with her mother and her father. Her father owned land, my Grandpa Arnaud, and Grandpa Arnaud, you know, at the time told my mother she can be anything. My mother worshiped my grandfather. My grandfather was a spoiler. My grandmother was the disciplinarian. My grandmother, Suzanne, who I love, and she's my grandmother, Suzanne, was no joke. My grandfather was the one who was sneaking treats and candies to my mom, putting it under her pillow so when she woke up, she would have something. My grandmother was the one that said, was saying, stop spoiling that girl. But it was my 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 grandfather, Arnaud, my mother's father, who said, who went to the hospital that was in their hometown and says, who is the person that stands right? Who are those women that stand right next to the doctor? Because remember, at this time, <clears throat> there were no female doctors. This is the Caribbean. This is the countryside of Haiti. This is the Albert Schweitzer Hospital that was in my mother's hometown at the time. And this hospital had many European and Cuban and African and American doctors, doctors from Africa, doctors from Cuba, doctors from Europe, uh, doctors from the United States and Canada that were there. But none of them were females or very few were females. Most of the females obviously were nurses. So my father, my grandfather looked at the women that were next to the doctors because the doctors were male and invariably white. And he said, who are those women? What do they call them? And they said they call them nurses. So my grandfather went home, and and as legend would have it, he went home to my mom when she was a little girl, and she was an adolescent girl, and he said, you're going to be a nurse. It would make me very happy if you were those, those women that were standing right next to the doctor. Now, I guess at the time, my grandfather couldn't fathom a female doctor because he never saw one. He didn't even know technically what a nurse was you know he was a a farmer and a landowner but he wasn't wise to all the things that were going on he was a very generous man and this that and the third but in any case um but i guarantee you if he saw a female doctor or he saw many female doctors he would have come home and told my mom you're going to be a doctor you are going to be anything you can be anything you want to be my mother realized she could be anything that she wanted to be because of what my grandfather instilled in her. It wasn't just the discipline of my grandma, it was the vision of my grandpa, her dad. Her dad had a vision for her and she loved and adored. I think adoration is even a better word than love. 
Because we, some of us love our parents. We love people around us. But do we adore them? My mother adored my, my grandpa. I, unfortunately, didn't get to know my grandfather. He died when I was four, three, four, five years old. I was in New York, and he was in, 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 in Haiti when um, he died. He never came to the United States. And um, I met him one time when I was a baby, and I don't remember it. I have dreams about my grandfather as if I met him or we're having conversations, but I don't remember him. You know, I see there's one or two pictures of him that are blurry, and um, that's it. But my mom was sent to the city as a teenage girl to go learn private school. My dad, my grandfather paid for it, and then in turn he found some relatives to, 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 to co-sign and get my mother a visa to come to the United States. And, you know, my mom got here and through a lot of trial and tribs and and, and, and work and hard work and dedication, my mom became a nurse and my mom became a registered nurse and my mom became a nurse supervisor. And that was my that was her father's dream. <clears throat> Why am I calling this episode girl lost question mark? I'm going to read something to you guys right now. Give me one moment while I find it. Do I have it? Yes, I have it right here. Are you ready? Okay. The Journal of Research in Crime and Delinquency reports that the most reliable indicator of violent crime in a community is the proportion of fatherless families. Fathers typically offer economic stability, a role model for boys, greater household security, and reduced stress for mothers. This is especially true for families with adolescent boys, the most crime-prone cohort. Children from single-parent families are more prone than children from two-parent families to use drugs, be gang members, be expelled from school, be committed to reform institutions, and become juvenile murderers. Single-parenthood inevitably reduces the amount of time a child has in interaction with someone who is attentive to the child's needs, including the provision of moral guidance and discipline. <clears throat> Where did I get that from? Hmm. The United States Department of Justice Office of Justice Programs. This is not from some woman-hating single parent conservative think tank or, 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 or traditional family parent think tank. This is the United States Department of Justice Office of Justice Programs. You can look it up yourself. These are statistics, data that's been mined and put into this system that says that the most reliable indicator of violent crime in a community is the proportion of fatherless families. <clears throat> Why am I bringing this up? Girl lost? Question mark. <clears throat> What's the information that our girls are, are getting today? Our girls. And I don't care who, what color they are. What's the information they're getting? You can do it alone. You can go it alone. You don't need a man for this. You don't need a man for that. You can do it by yourself. This girl rocks. Black girls rock. Fight like a girl, etc., etc., etc. Now, I'm going to say this because I have a nephew 
and I have a niece. My 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 brother is in a in a relationship. He's raising his children. I would say 90 plus percent of my my friends are raising their kids or have or are in the process of raising that's if they have kids. <clears throat> and um women out there, I'm saying to you, you may think you can do it alone. You know, you got your degree, you got your this, you got your that, but the statistics are saying that your child may not be able to do it alone. That you may not be enough. All of this talk that I am enough, I am enough, I am enough. Yeah, you may be enough for some things, definitely. You're enough to be able to pass your classes. You're enough to be able to pay your bills. You're enough to be able to start a business and be successful at that. You're enough to change the lives of your friends and family. You may not be enough to raise that child. You might need the help of the father and not just on the weekends. You may have to find a way to compromise, lead to some concessions, to change the way you look at things, change the way you look at him, and find a way to cohabitate, co-parent, so for the benefit of this child. Because based on these labor statistics, your bachelor's degree, your master's degree, your PhD, may not be enough may not be enough and guess what and and i need to say this only because of the world that we're living in right now i've been talking about this kind of stuff for a long time i think now in the media well at least in internet media uh there are many uh public well i want to say um people and internet tv personalities that are now um, trying to, I guess, educate women and predominantly black women. And um, they're being called a lot of names and maybe their approach. So the messenger is being killed because the message is salty. And maybe so, you know, the message is, is, is coming across as if it's woman bashing. That's why I started with that. That's why I led with the kids. I led with the children. Because sometimes single parenthood happens. It happens. You didn't plan for it. You didn't want it to happen, but it happened. You didn't work out with the, the father of the child, the mother of the child, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have this situation. So now at this point, it's kind of incumbent upon the woman to now you have to find male role, role model archetypes to be a part of this child's life. And I'm not saying farm this child out to different men, but at this point, you're gonna have to find a way to, to, to get male, active male role models in this child's life. Who am I talking about? Does, do you have a brother? then your child is going to have to spend a lot of time with, your, with their uncle. That boy, especially that boy, is going to have to learn. It's going to have to go over your over uncle's house a lot. Are, are, is your father in your life 
or do you live in the same state as your father <clears throat> still you know after you've gone to college and met whoever you met you may have to go back to your hometown if it's a decent hometown um and 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 make sure that your father can can be this role model figure for your child that maybe the father of that child can't be because the statistics are alarming and there are a lot of women out there that think they can fight statistics they think that they're the exception to the rule and you have to look at the probabilities statistically speaking it's like when you eat junk food yeah you can be the probability that okay if you keep eating these fatty foods maybe you'll be one of the people that doesn't have heart disease disease and strokes and other things like that maybe but if it says 67% or 70% of the people, if you do this, it's going to lead to a negative outcome. Why are you trying to be the 30%? Why are you still trying to do the negative behavior that's leading to negative or the behavior that's going to lead to negative outcomes in the hopes that you may be the 30% that will, be, that will not be negatively impacted by said behavior? Why not just eliminate the behavior that may lead to that 70% probability of a negative outcome? Why not? So if you, after hearing that statistic from the United States Department of Justice, that the most reliable indicator of violent crime in a community is the proportion of fatherless families, after hearing that, you can't unhear it. There, if so, if this is being shared to a single mother out there that has decided to be a single mom, has decided to not work it out with the father. If the father is a decent chap, you may have some sort of little ideological differences here and there. But if that man wants to be a part of that child's life and, and he's a relatively positive influence and you read that stat from the United States Department of Justice that the most reliable Listen to me. The most reliable indicator of violent crime in a community is the proportion of fatherless families. What? And you still decide to go it alone. Is it safe to say that if your adolescent boy decides to enter into some wayward behavior, is it safe to say after hearing that and you still continue down that path, is it safe to say that you're somewhat to blame for the things that are going on in your community? Is it safe to say that if they end up incarcerated and the majority of the men that are in prisons right now from poor neighborhoods are coming from neighborhoods that there isn't a father in the lives, in their lives? Um, is it safe to say that a lot of these crimes can be attributed to the parents' decisions? Because whether you want to hear it or not, Ladies, I know uh, there are a lot of I'm going to get some pushback from this and that's OK. You're out there saying and responding, well, it's not it takes two to make a baby. No, it doesn't. It doesn't take two to make a baby. It takes one person to make the decision whether that baby is born or not and under what conditions. That's the mama, your body, your choice. It takes two to have sex. It takes two to conceive. But it takes one person to bring that baby to term. 
So that two to take to two to make a baby argument actually doesn't apply. It takes two to conceive. It takes two to lay down and uh, or lay down or stand up or whatever and make and conceive a child. It takes one person and it's a, the woman who has the power as to whether that child is brought to full term and raised under those conditions. So the bachelor's degrees and the PhDs and the master's degrees and the this, that, and the third, they're not changing these stats because, you know, there are a lot of stats that are being bandied about in this, this world right now. Like, you know, there's a stat that says black women are the most educated uh, group in America, and, and that's not true. You know, the most educated group in America by percentage points are Asians and Pacific Islanders. Okay. And after that, it's white men. Okay. And, 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 you know, and white women, Asian Pacific Islander women are 55% of them have a bachelor's degree or higher. Okay. 23.2% of black women have de bachelor's degrees or higher. And when a black woman decides to get a bachelor's degree, it's not in the sciences. It's in early education or in the humanities. So it's a marketing degree. And if you're paying twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars and you're a year or twenty, you're only going to make thirty, forty thousand dollars a year as a marketing <clears throat> assistant. Early childhood education in many places, you don't make any money. Um, if you get a master's degree in social work and you're a counselor, you're not making any money. So a lot of these degrees, we have to put them into context. If you're if 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 you're having babies out of wedlock and um, forget about wedlock, you're not even co-parenting and cohabitating. You know what I mean? Forget about marriage for a moment as an institution, but just just cohabitating in and of itself. If you're not doing that, then all of the bills fall on you pretty much for you and your child. Guess what happens then? Your student loans end up in default or in deferment. We're going to get to that. These are very this is very important with this whole go it alone gang we live in, in in uncertain times the cost of living and the cost of college tuition is at extreme epidemic proportions it's so high and it's so ridiculous the price of an education is actually overpriced based on what the return on your investment is okay your roi your return on your investment so you spend 50, 60, 70, $100,000 to become a mass, to get a master's degree in social work and you're working as a counselor for the city making $40,000, $50,000 a year. And is that any money in a big city? Because usually to get that 50000 if you're lucky, that thirty, you start off at thirty. you you're working for the Department of Health or something like that in a smaller city. And then what happens if you decided to have a child out of wedlock? Because guess what? 64% of black babies in America will be born out of wedlock. And they will be born most likely, and they will most likely be with the mom. Because I think only 11 to 15% of, of, of single parents are dads. So the majority of those, of those single parents are moms. About, say, 50% or so are moms. Most of them are going to be the mother. So now what? What happens now? What happens now when you have to pay for child care? 
which is super duper ridiculously expensive. And you have to pay for not only you to eat, this child to eat, you have to pay for expenses like a, an apartment. You have to pay for a car because most of the United States doesn't have a viable public transportation apparatus. And then guess what? Guess what, guess what gets put on the back burner? Your student loan. And that's why at 10 years after graduating, black women owe 13% more on their loan on average. 13% more on your loan. Listen to this. There's $1.5 trillion worth of student loan debt in America. Did you hear what I just said? $1.5 trillion. Two-thirds of that debt is being carried by black women in America. They are carrying the highest student loan debt of any racial or ethnic group in the United States. And if anyone knows anything about debt, debt is slavery unless you are a corporation and you're using your debt as leverage as long as you're just a normal regular human being your credit card debt your car loan debt your student loan debt is slavery so in this country right now we have one trillion dollars worth of credit card debt one trillion dollars worth of car loan debt and 1.5 trillion dollars worth of student loan debt and guess what's the funky thing about student loans if you file for bankruptcy Oh, you can get rid of your car loan debt. Whoop, gone. You can get rid of your credit card debt. Whoop, gone. Your student loan debt is with you forever. It is financial herpes. You can't get rid of it. It's just there. Like a bad pierogi on a plate. It just sits there stinking up your credit report, stinking up everything going on in your life. Okay? It's there. They can take away your passport. That's why this deferment, people keep kicking these loans forward. And what is a deferment? It means you, we're not going to ask you for the money now, but the interest keeps climbing. You're going to owe more money over time. And eventually, the bill is going to be up, and you're going to owe that money. So, so what's going on? 64 to 67% of these, these babies are going to be born to single mamas who are allegedly, allegedly have college degrees and are one of the most educated people you know, in America. Educated in what is extremely important. If, you, if all of you are getting bachelor's degrees in medicine, in nursing, in engineering, in architect, in, in, in the finance, in, CP, in accounting, a master's degrees in accounting, that's another story. But most of those degrees are in the humanities or in, they're in the liberal arts, like marketing degrees and communications. Not everybody is going to be in Maria Taylor's position at ESPN. Most will not. Why? Because when black women get into corporate America, they're making less than white men, black men, white women. They're making the least. They're making, I think, 60-something cents on the dollar for every dollar that a, a white male makes. A black woman is making about 60-something cents off of that. Those are the odds. Those are the, the statistics after you, 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 you walk that, that stage and you shake the hand of the president of, of your school and you smile with that diploma in your hand. I'm saying this, and this is going to sound a bit provocative. I'm saying that a woman's job and a man's job in college is not only to get a degree, but to find your mate. It's probably going to be the last time you're going to be around that many 
proactive single young people in your life. And I'm stressing the word proactive because you can go to a nightclub and be around a bunch of single people. Doesn't necessarily mean they're proactive. I'm saying that while you were in school from 18 to 22 to get the bachelor's and then from 22 to maybe 24 and 25 to get the master's and then from 25 to 27 or 28 to get the Ph.D. In that seven to 10 year span. You should be not only making sure you're the best academic you can be the best professional you can be. But at that point, you should be honing your dating skills and figuring out what kind of mate, man, do I want to spend my life with? And what kind of man do I see will be a great father for my child? If you're going to spend the majority of your, your 20s being an academic because that's what you are. If you get your PhD and your master's degree and this, that, you're going to spend a majority of your 20s in school. If you're going to do that, then all those guys that are at the library studying, those guys that are in the honor society, and you notice that every organization on campus, this dude is a part of. He's driven. He's proactive. He's a people person. He seems sincere. And every day you see this man, every single day, you get to know him, he gets to know you. I'm saying to the women out there, they're actually on college campuses. The reason why I'm speaking to them directly is because there are a lot of women in my family that I feel have become Americanized. Where they feel that their degree is what they lead with. No one, when you die, no one's going to, if you're a real estate agent and you're the, 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 the best female real estate agent in your, in your town or region, no one's going to remember you when you die for how many homes you sold or that record quarter that you had and things of that nature. Your legacy is how your family turned out. That's what you have. That's all most of us are going to get. Our legacy is what we have left behind in the form of family, kin, the decisions we made pertaining to that. So with a 64% single parent household uh, percentage and have the statistic that the most reliable indicator of violent crime and juvenile murderers is a fatherless family. I gave you the statistic about student loan debt that two thirds of America's $1.5 trillion student loan debt is being carried by black women. And then within 10 years of having their degree, they, they owe more money, not less money. All of that being considered, what do you guys think? Are girls in America lost? Are we giving them the wrong message about family? About what it means to be a, a, a contributor to your community? Because that's what you're doing when you're adding another life to the equation. Are we sending the wrong signals when we tell these girls they can do it alone? When we tell these teenage girls they're bossed up and they can do it alone? When we're telling these girls in their 20s and their 30s that they can do it alone? Just because you can do it doesn't necessarily mean it should be done. Statistically speaking, if you want to raise a well-balanced positive contributor to society 
going it alone statistically is not going to lead to a positive outcome. I know it's a little rough, but I'm not I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just going by the numbers. And I understand it, it's 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 some some people think it's harder to learn how to be a, 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 a girlfriend, wife and mother than it is, you know, to go to school. So many people go to school because the other parts of their life, they don't know how to put in a syllabus. See, school is kind of easy. I went to school. You know what you know what school is? School is easier than life. That's why they have this saying that a lot of teachers, they hide in academia because academia has different rules than actually performing in maybe a sales floor. You know, I, I taught a little bit and I also worked on Wall Street. You want to know which one was infinitely harder? Working on Wall Street. You know what's infinitely harder than teaching? Selling. So academia provides these 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 strictures and structures here's your syllabus in the beginning of the semester day one write your name here we're covering this today we're covering that today if you do this you get an a if you don't do this you don't get an a it's kind of simple they tell you exactly what they expect from you. You do it. And most likely, if you're proficient enough, you, you put in enough hours and enough time and you and you're and you're proactive. You get the A. Life doesn't work that way. There's no syllabus for this thing. But this kind of provides a rubric as to what not to do. You get what I'm saying? But life is funny. These decisions that we make and how they reverberate throughout our lives and and and. and they have tentacles that we don't see. And then the butterfly effect can go on for generations. How is your child going to know how to treat their significant other if you're raising your child alone and then not seeing how you interact with your significant other? Is that simple enough? If you're a single woman and you're raising a daughter, how is she going to know how to interact with her man under living within closed or close quarters, how to interact when you're upset with your man, but you still are living under the same roof and you guys are working together. See, the average median salary for black women is in the thirty-five, forty thousand $40,000 a year. It's the poverty mark. And there are more and more single mothers that are homeless now in America than ever before. And the, those were post pandemic that's post pandemic i'm sorry pre pandemic data that's what we're talking about right now the decisions i'll give you a little story quick anecdote um my dad you know my mom and dad got divorced when i was in my mid to late teens yeah and um one thing i'll never forget though i'll never forget my mom and dad would have an argument I'm sitting at the table, my brother's sitting next to me, my younger brother, my mom and dad are there and, my, and I could feel the tension between my mom and my dad and he's sitting at the table and the food is being served to him, served to me and then my mom sits down, my dad says thank you and my mom, my mom had a very small, she has a very small lips, thin lips and she would purse them together like a bird and when she did that it looked like a tiny little bird's beak and that's when you knew she was upset. That's when you knew. When those, when those lips stuck together to that little point is when you knew mom is not happy with the, And she would serve him his food 
and I could feel the heat coming off of her was hotter than the food on our plates. And I knew she wanted to hit him over the head with the pan that was in her hand. But she didn't, fortunately. She sat down, she ate, it was a quiet table. Me and my brother are kind of sneaking glances at each other, stealing glances at each other. And when we finished our food, we put our plates in the, in the sink and we dashed to our rooms so we didn't have to deal with that awkward feeling. And then all of a sudden, one to two to three days later, my mom and dad were okay again. My dad came home every night. He went to work every day. My mom... So he didn't go someplace and figure it out and then come back three, four, five days later. He came home every night. You could set a clock to my father's schedule. This is very, very important. I learned problem resolution just by watching them get over their stuff because I can hold a grudge. I can hold a grudge with an iron kung fu grip, but yet I learned that these people, even though they had a fight, they're still life fighting together. <clears throat> so if you're a woman out there and you're making thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, then you find another man. You find a man and he's making that thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. You're not making thirty or forty thousand anymore. Now you're making what he's making as well. You guys teamed up. So if you're making 40 and he's making 40, that's an $80,000 household. That's why when you look at applications, it says, what is the household earnings? They didn't say how much you're making and how much he's making. What is the house making? Household earnings. You guys have teamed up to beat life together. Beat life before life beats you. Because between student loan debt and the debt that you're going to accrue when you borrow, when you take out loans to help your child go to college if they're not scholarship worthy, and if it's coming from a single parent household, guess what? I'm sorry. The statistics show that not only is this child not going to college, <laughs> but it's going to be in a world of trouble. And if they do go to college, they're probably not going to be in the academic uh, strata to uh, uh, deem them scholarship worthy for any substantial amounts of money that will take the debt off of that child and you. So not only did you not finish paying off your student loans, 10 years after you graduate, you're still go you're gonna owe more money. So if you have a child with you, so by the time that child turns 18, your debt's gonna be more and now you gotta take on more debt. When do you get to invest? When do you get to be that entrepreneur boss that everyone is talking about on television? The numbers don't um, 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 show that, okay? The numbers are not showing me this boss thing, this I can do it alone movement. The numbers that I see as someone who studies politics, studies data, studies economics, the numbers don't reflect all of this boss talk. It reflects slave talk. Debt is slavery. And what I'm seeing is a lot of women are being saddled with a lot of debt. And a lot of it has to do with their relationship decisions and how they look at the dynamic between them and a man. We've turned and we can go into. I don't want to get into feminist movement, this, that and the third. Or who is it? Is it me too? Is it Gloria Steinem? Is it the CIA? 
I'm not getting the 60s. Was it this? Was it the sexual sexual revolution? Was it, I'm not getting into all of that right now. Let's get into the numbers now. Let's get in. I, usually I like to get into how we got here. But today I'm going to talk about here. The data doesn't reflect this boss life thing. You know, you buy a house and now your credit is shot. I mean, you rent a rent an apartment. Your credit is is compromised because of this high loan debt. Then you have to take out other monies and credit cards because you have uh, child care expenses and things of that nature. So now you're taking out an exorbitant loan on a car because you need a car in this world. Most people don't live in a place that has public transportation. And if you do, you're probably in the Northeast, which is one of the most expensive places to live outside of California. Living in the Northeast in New York, Connecticut, Boston, places like that, where, you know, Boston has a decent public transportation system. New York has a very good one, but you're living in New York. It's almost like you can't afford a car anyway. <laughs> so luckily for you, you have to train. Small consolation considering housing prices and rental prices. Okay, but in any case, this is where we are right now. This idea that a woman can go it alone. The kids are suffering. The kids are suffering. Are we learning problem resolution? If you haven't seen your mom, if you're a boy and you haven't seen your mom interact with your with your dad or a male in the house day in, day out. Month in, month out, year in, year out, for a decade and a half. Because that's what you need. Remember what we spoke about in the first couple of episodes? The great philosophers and the Jesuits said that if you give me the child from one years old to seven years old, I will show you the adult. If you give me the child between one and seven, I will show you the adult. That's how important those theta years are that hypnosis where the child is seeing the same thing over and over again. It's where we learn most of our manners. We learn our ABCs. We learn our one, two, threes. We learn our please and thank you. And we learn how, inter how to interact with the world around us. We learn love. We learn what it looks like. We learn what it feels like. We learn that. We know that by seven. We know who loves us and who doesn't. We know. When my, my little nephew, Max, is five. When I say, I love you, Max, he'd be like, I know, uncle. That's what he says to me. And he looks at me with this face like he's in full knowledge and understanding that uncle has his back. And he's five. He gets it. I was like, you know how much I love you? I'd be like, he'd be like, hey, and he says, how much? And he asks, he asks, how much? I'd be like, so much. And he goes, I know. And he closes his eyes and he nods. And that nod is a, is a nod of full assurance because I've been with him since he was Three hours old, I held him in my arms and I told him every single time I saw him, I loved him. And not only that, every time I was around him, I gave him some sort of knowledge or understanding or some sort of outward uh, uh, manifestation, whether it was a hug, whether it was encouragement. I laugh at his jokes. I, I, I support him in his little crazy antics. I discipline him when necessary, but it's a gentle discipline. I let him know when he's wrong and I explain to him and he understands. And I always tell him, I'm only saying this because I want you to be a great human being. And he goes, okay. And he always listens to me. He doesn't always listen to everybody around him, but he listens to me. So by the time he's seven years old, he knows. Uncle loves me. 
I have family members that I haven't seen since my adolescence. And I know and I remember how they made me feel when I walked into a room, how important I felt, how much value I felt. I felt valued. I felt important when they said, hey, June, and they made me feel like I was the life of the party. Here I am decades later, and I remember that from six, seven, eight years old. So if these children aren't seeing you interact with the male archetype and that male archetype interacting with you through their adolescence, who's going to be their metric and their measuring stick for how to act? Because it's not what you say to them. And, and yes, I know you, women oftentimes, you know, people, we think that we can tell our kids what to do. But kids are going to do as you do, not as you say. They're going to model your behavior eventually. They're going to model what they see. You understand? Not what you say, but what they see. So if they see you alone, they're not going to know how to act oh yeah, you need to do this for a man or you need to do this for a woman or you need to do this for such and such, but they haven't seen it. So everything is theoretical at this point. It's an elephant that's hanging off of a cliff and its tail is tied to a pin. It's theoretical physics if you're telling a child how to act around a male role model that they've never been around. It's theoretical physics. It didn't happen. They have to probably get it from a relative. And if you're if if you as a parent are a product of a single parent household, so you don't even know how to do it and your mama didn't tell you how to do it and you're going through two or three generations of ignorance or there's a knowledge void. I don't like to use the word ignorance anymore. People think that it's so I say there's a knowledge void. There's a practical there's a void in the practical application of this. So it's a knowledge void. So with this knowledge void, what happens? What's going to happen to these babies? This grid is not going to always be around to take care of you. I understand that Uber Eats can send the food to your house. I understand that everything is pretty much automated. But guess what? Guess what? Crime is up. Home invasions are up. Burglaries are up. And predators are out there seeing you going into your home with a baby and there's no man around. No man around probably means there's no firearm around. You are looking vulnerable out here in a world and in a country with great economic insecurity. <laughs> you back in the days just to protect and to provide was enough. Now we have a whole lot of layers as to why people are coupling up. People want to feel fulfilled, fulfilled for this, for that, the third. OK, but just from a practical perspective. To find a protector that can provide and to be that male archetype based on the statistics and then to keep the barbarians away from your gate. Like I said, robberies, home invasions and burglaries are up. So when you're when you have the groceries in one hand and the baby stroller in the other hand and you're trying to fold the stroller and you're going up some stairs and you're not paying attention to your surroundings. Guess who's paying attention to you? Predators who see you as someone vulnerable. I was reading an article, right? This woman, because there's a there's a rise in gray divorce, which is old people that are divorcing, because that's the one they say great thing about economic um, opportunities that have now been opened up for women, which I feel shouldn't have never been closed off to begin with. But in any case, 
there's this woman who says, you know, she lives alone. She didn't have any kids. She divorced her husband um, and she doesn't have any kids. And she said something that's very, very important. She, and this is interesting. She says she. <laughs> wow. She says that she's constantly posting on Facebook to let her family and friends know that she's OK. And she says she doesn't know her neighbors and her apartment complex is very, very quiet. And she says the thing that scares her more than anything is that the older she gets, she doesn't want to be dead in her apartment for days because nobody knows her. That's sad. And if we go back to the protector provider aspect, Let's think about something that Ghazali once said, the writer. He said, a precious and a desired object may be one, may be any of three categories. What is sought as a means to an end, what is sought for its own intrinsic value, and what is sought for both. What is sought for its own intrinsic value is nobler and more excellent than that which is sought as a means to an end. I'm saying that at this point in time, when we're dealing with the union of a man and a woman, so you can fight this ec these economic hardships together, where you can build family with someone that you, that you share ideals with, I'm saying that there is no difference between an item that is precious and an item that is desired. If you seek it as a means to an end for, for uh, protection and, and as a provider, that man as a means to that end, that's okay. That's his intrinsic value as well. Seek it to a me as a means to an end. That's intrinsic. His value as a protector and a provider. I think that we've gotten, we've lost hold of that. We're living in a material world. You are a material girl. You think that that overpriced car that, 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 that depreciates every single moment of your life, that that's, uh, I'm able to afford this. I'm able to graduate from this. Your true legacy is going to be the leg the people you leave behind and the impact that you had on them. How much positive influence, how much of a positive influence you were, the decisions that you made, did they negatively impact them or positively, imp positively impact them? Based on the statistics, I'm saying that a lot of women out there, if you're a mom and you have a daughter or a son and you are by yourself right now, if you're by yourself, what are you doing to make sure that there is a male, positive male role model who has ideals that you agree with? What are you doing to make sure that that child, uh, that child is exposed to that person, has access to that person regularly? If you are in a relationship with the father of that child, and I know sometimes you want to beat him over the head with a, with a spatula, you know, with a pan, with a frying pan. I get it. Is there some things you need to change about you? Life is about compromises and concessions. Corporate America is not going to save you. Corporate America is constantly looking for the cheaper person. So the older you get and the more seniority you get, the more insecure you are in a particular field. Understand that, ladies and gentlemen, understand that there are a ton of middle aged white men that committed suicide at alarming rates during the 2008, 2009 economic collapse between 07 and 2009. There was an alarming weight rate rate of middle aged white men who were supposed to be 
the poster boys for white male privilege. They killed themselves in droves because the marketplace told them, you're too expensive. We're going to go with the younger person, the younger woman, the younger black woman, and we're going to pay her, uh, I don't know, 30% of what you were getting, 50 to 60 cents on the dollar that we were giving you, and we're going to overwork her. She's going to do the job of one or two people. And the black woman in America is the least likely to join a woman, join a union or form a union and, or or be a disruptor in the marketplace. Why? Because they're the ones that are most financially insecure. They took out the most student loan debt of anybody. They're the ones that are most likely to be single mothers. Only one, one in four of them are going to be married. You know what happens when you have a man and you have a husband? Or you have someone when you turn, you can turn to and trust. And you say, you know what, sweetheart? I don't like this job. I don't like the way they're treating me. I can do better. I want to put in my resume. I don't want to do this. Do you have my back? And that guy looks at you and goes, all right. All right, I can hold us down for a while. And then you can, you know, refresh your resume. And if you want to pivot and try something different, or if you want to maybe just have a fresh start, we can discuss some landing places. Let's put it down on paper and let's do some research and let's see what's next. Those are the kind of moves you can make when you're moving as a unit. Those are the kind of moves that are made. I made those moves. My lady and I made those moves. She tells me constantly, I wouldn't have done some of these things if you weren't around, if I didn't trust. It's not just that I'm around. She can trust me. She's like, June has my back. So when I say, hey, forget about corporate. I gotcha. Focus on doing what it is that you do. Your legacy is you love to help people. You love to create. You love to do this. Hey, we'll take care of that. When you're working as a unit, you don't need millions. You don't even need hundreds of thousands. You just need to be on the same page. And if the page sometimes gets a little wrinkled and ruffled, you reset and you go, hey, God, what are we doing? You look at each other and go, what are we doing? Where, where, where did we go wrong right now? And have the wherewithal and have the patience and have the emotional stamina to stay the course together. And not just walk out and not just say, I can't do this. I can do better by myself. I don't need the hassle. I want to be happy. What does happy even mean? Happiness and peace is a process. I remember when I was watching um, the news as a kid and there was a, a peace accord between Israel and Palestine. And I can't remember who the prime minister of Israel was at the time. It could have been Menachem Begin. I'm not entirely sure. And then and I think there was a member of the PLO that was on the stage too, representing Palestine. And um, <clears throat> I remember a reporter asked, I think it was Menachem Begin or someone on the stage, um, is, is, does this, is this going to lead to, to, to lasting peace? And the man on the stage smiled. And I was a kid when I saw this. I was adolescent. I was less, I was maybe single digits or, you know, wasn't a teenager yet. The reporter asks this man uh, on the stage, will this lead to lasting peace? Is this a lasting peace accord? Is this going to lead to lasting peace? And you know what that man said? That man said something that stuck with me my whole life. He said, peace is a process. Peace is a process. Being in a relationship, you're happy today and something can happen an hour from now. You're happy right now in the relationship. And then all of a sudden, something happens. Happiness is a process. Peace is a process. You have to work at it. Relationships that go on for 20, 30, 40 years and you have these anniversaries, you think it was easy. Do you know how many times 
they looked at each other and thought, you know what, man, you know, I should just leave this. And they said, you know what, we need to have a talk because I'm having some thoughts. And before I act on these thoughts, I need to know what you want to do. Do you love me? Do you want this? When you said that, did you mean this? Did you? And you have to have those uncomfortable conversations. I had a former friend of mine and I told him, no, there's nothing in my life that has been more revealing and more taxing and has really truly revealed to me the kind of man that I am. Nothing reveals that to me more than being in an intimate relationship with my partner. When I'm with a woman that I truly care about and I know she cares about me and we're going through these things, I learn more about myself in that process than anything I've ever gone through in my life. You understand that? That's what being in relationships mean. You learn. Some of your bad habits, they get exposed. You realize that, wow, this thing that I was doing on my own doesn't really work, (laughs) you know, when I'm working with this person. It's like being on a team. You're so used to being in the park by yourself, chucking up 50 shots in, in a bunch of different directions, not caring, shooting from half court. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, I'm on a team. There are concessions and there are compromises and there are things that I have to do to be part of this team so we can get to that ultimate goal. Now, I'm saying if the ultimate goal is to raise positive members of society when we procreate, then doing this thing alone doesn't work. Based on the statistics of juvenile justice in the United States Department of Justice and based on the the debt uh, 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 matrix that exists, okay, It's not working. So this is sort of like my appeal to a lot of the people out there. I don't care what color you are, whether it's the black woman or this one. The reason why I'm kind of saying black women is only because that I've mentioned them. It's because the things that are going on in that community are at epidemic proportions. You know, we're talking two thirds of America's nearly one point five trillion dollar student loan debt are being carried by black women. It's the highest debt in the nation. And like I said, these college degrees, it's not the majority of black women. It's not the majority at all. It's not the majority of them. And like I said, when you do get these degrees, these degrees are in early childhood education. They're in the humanities. They're in marketing. They're in liberal arts. And those aren't the high-paying, high-salary jobs. They're not in the technologies. They're not in IT. They're not in uh, uh, the STEMs, they're not in engineering, they're not in accounting, they're not in the math and the sciences that are going to bring you close, if not over, a six-figure income, where at least from a financial perspective, you can maybe kind of go it alone. But your degree in your salary is just a piece of the pie. It's not the whole pie. A mother and a father in a poor neighborhood working together with that child can it can move mountains, oftentimes more than just having one high salaried parent and no other parent around. The mountains you can move when it's two people working together, like, OK, I'm going to work this schedule so the child will have someone when they get home and you're going to work that schedule. You work the days and I'll work the evenings. Someone will always be here. 
mom will be here, dad will be, will always be here. We're always going to somehow be a part of this child's life. This child is not going to feel alone for the first 10 plus years of their life before we send them out into the world as independent human beings and thinkers and adults and contributors. Remember, remember, it's these juvenile murderers, these kids that join gangs, they don't have dads. They're looking for, they're looking for fathers in these gangs, what they call OGs, old gangsters or original gangsters. You know, they're looking for family. They're looking for you, th th those units because they come from fractured families. So they're looking for that sense of family. The thing that they, they're intrinsically missing. You hear that word I used, intrinsic? Because remember, what, what did we just speak about? A precious and a desired object may be any of three categories. What is sought as a means to an end and what is sought for its own intrinsic value. So what they're missing intrinsically, because it took two people to conceive them, but one person brought them the term. And they, where's that other person? So that child is being brought up not feeling fully loved. It's a hole that women, when they're single parents, they try to fill up that hole with gifts. I don't want the, on the birthday the kid gets extra spoiled sometimes with money that that parent doesn't have. I have to make sure the birthday is special because they don't. The father is not around. I have to make sure Christmas is extra special. So you spend money you don't have. You borrow money you don't have. You do all of these things trying to make these things, these days extra special. There's no, and what you do is you put yourself in more debt because you, you feel a little guilty that you chose that man, one, and you chose to bring this child into the world, two. You made some decisions. And like I said, all, it's not always absentee fathers. Like I said, 90% of the guys that I know are in their child's lives. And these are black men. You know, black men get a bad rap. Get a bad rap. Like, oh, they're never around. Well, you know, I, I anecdotally, I know a lot that are around. But statistically, oftentimes, they're not. And I get that. So what happens when you have the incarceration matrix and many many black men are disproportionately in jail for nonviolent offenses due to punitive drug laws and things of that nature what happens then so when you do finally find a good one dear i suggest or one that doesn't just because you're in jail doesn't mean you're not a good one so i'm just going to say just when you do find one and you happen to be in college or you happen to be at a particular job or this that and the third and you happen to decide to conceive are you are you asking yourself you decided to have unprotected sex. You made that decision. That's a, you're the one who's getting pregnant. So it's up to you to make sure that that man is protected and you're the one and you're protected as well. Double protection. You decided to do that. You're making a lot of executive decisions right now. You picked that, this particular person to lay down with out of all the other choices that you had. You picked this person. You picked that, chose this person to have unprotected sex with. Then you chose that person. Then you decided, when you found out you were pregnant, you decided to bring that child to term. And if that father said, I don't feel like being in this, this child's life, or for some whatever reason, you guys couldn't come to, to get on the same page. You couldn't get on the same page to, to one accord. You have to ask yourself, what could you have done differently? If you women, if women out there, if you have an opportunity to um, 
compromise and concede and work with the, with the father of your child, you do so immediately. There are a lot of things going on outside when you turn on your television. I'm not going to say what they are. You know what they are. There are a lot of artists out there that are your children are idolizing that. Um, I don't think there are enough <clears throat> parents around to explain to these children what's going on. Exorbitant child care, you're working hard, long hours, technology and television, raising your child right now. Do you know what your child is watching? Do you have enough time to spend with that child? Remember what that um stat said? Remember what it said? Um, um said um attentive. Single parent parenthood inevitably reduces the amount of time a child has in interaction with someone who is attentive to the child's needs, including the provision of moral guidance. If it's just you, you can't do everything. You can't go to work. You can't pick the child up. You can't cook and clean and wash their jeans and do all of these things and still be attentive to the child's needs, including the provision of moral guidance and discipline. That's a two-person job. If you can get two people to do it, it's, it's, it's ideal. It's a two-person job. Because oftentimes we think, okay, you pop this child out, you feed, you clothe them, you send them off to these institutions of higher learning or school, and then the school becomes the babysitter of your child. The books have changed, ladies and gentlemen. The curriculum has changed, ladies and gentlemen. I know you're working so hard, you can't get to those school board meetings. You don't know what the changes are going on. All you want to know is if the child did the homework or not at school. Did you go to the after school program? Oh, yes, they have two hours of after school care. So you get to get home in time, um, um, cook dinner, and then the child gets uh, uh, dropped off by the school bus or you pick up the child. So now you don't even get to see the homework. You don't even get to see the curriculum. You don't get to see what these people are teaching your child because you're running around because it's just you. And now the school system is raising your child. Technology is raising your child. Television is raising your child. These artists and actors are raising your child. Other students are raising your child. And you thought just food, clothing, and send them off was going to be enough. I'm saying it's not enough. The statistics are saying it's not enough. The statistics are saying you are not enough. We need to have a an ongoing dialogue, a new conversation about what family means, the value of a father. This idea that a father is a glorified babysitter, the stats don't reflect that and don't support that. Not when it says that the most reliable indicator of violent crime in a community is the proportion of fatherless families. The stats don't support that he's just a glorified babysitter. He's a lot more than that. We have to restore value in that institution of family. You don't want to get married? Okay. A woman, you're going to die early or uh, later on than your husband. Guess what? Then the person you cohabitate with. You might as well get a ring on it because then you're on his life insurance. Then you get a piece of his pension. I think sometimes you even get some of his social security because you guys were living together. So it kind of makes sense to marry that man. Remember what I said, the intrinsic value. 
means to an end, intrinsic value. To me, in that regard, it's the same thing. Okay? Maybe when we're dealing with precious metals, because that quote was taken, it was talking about um, metals. And metals don't have a, an intrinsic value until you add a value to it. It's just a means to an end. But intrinsic value is family. You may want things to be airy-fairy. We may want it to be like a two-hour movie where, you know, man meets woman, woman meets man. They get together. They have a little conflict. And before the credits roll, they figured it all out. Sometimes life doesn't work that way. Most of the time it doesn't. So we have these ex expeditious models of, of problem resolution that aren't reflecting our reality. And that's what we're using in our books, in our romance novels, <clears throat> in our movies. You know, that's not how it works. I don't care if you're living in medieval times, if you're living in a rural village, if you're living in an industrial city in the first world. We're life fighting right now together. It's better we decide to find a way to do these things together. I said a lot today just now. I said actually more than I thought I was, but I think it's important. I think it's important to start this conversation because I'm noticing that as a man, I'm noticing the attack on men. Toxic masculinity, A, B, C, D, E, this, that, and the third. And because we live in an automated world where a car can park itself and drive itself and the food can get delivered to your house, I think we're seeing a world where, a first world where the man is being diminished for what he contributes. And these stats are showing us that it doesn't matter that you live in first world America. It doesn't matter that you may have a degree. It doesn't matter that you went to college and you graduate. It doesn't matter. These kids are not being served by this do it alone, go at it alone gang. It's not working. Statistically, don't try to be the outlier of the statistics. If the highest probability is that if you smoke cigarettes, you're going to get lung cancer. Don't just say, I like smoke. I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to be part of the minority that doesn't get cancer, lung cancer. Don't do that. And if you want to do that and just affect yourself, then fine. But if you're noticing that these statistics are directly, negatively affecting children, innocent children, then I don't think that this is a road that you should go down if you consider yourself a good parent. You want to consider yourself a good parent? Being a good parent is to provide protection and safety and role models and figures and putting them in the best position to succeed. And you just being the model is showing that it's not enough. Even if you're a high earner and you may have anecdotal information in your life about, oh, well, me and my girlfriends, we're doing fine. And we're all divorced. We're all single and this, that. And yeah. Statistically speaking, nationwide, forget about the anecdotal evidence that you have to the contrary. The probability of this working is not in anyone's favor. Because guess what? You're going to raise a child. You don't want to raise a child that becomes a wayward child, a delinquent that now is now a disruptor in their community because now I got to worry about your kid. I'm living in a neighborhood and I see you move in and you're by yourself and I don't see the man of the house at all. Now I got to watch this kid. I may have to volunteer to, 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 to take that kid to a couple of games just so he doesn't break into my car 10, 10 years from now. Does that sound horrible? Sorry. I'm looking at the statistics. I'm looking at it from practical applications. That's what I'm looking at. 
as the man of the house, when me and my lady walk, I open the door for my woman and I look both ways. I look around before I even open up the car door. My woman has the luxury of walking down the street with me, looking down at her phone. Sometimes my woman doesn't. She crosses the street while looking at her phone. I'm like, sweetheart, you can't do that. She was like, I know you see everything. Oh, okay. She has the luxury of looking down at her phone while crossing a street because I'm always looking. I never walk with my phone. My phone is never in my hand when I walk. It's always in my pocket. I need my hands free just in case I need to reach for my Second Amendment or just to use my hands. I don't have time to have my phone in my hands when I'm out in the streets. I don't do that. You understand? But she has the luxury of doing that because I'm watching. I open up the car door. I look around. I close the door. I'm looking all around my vehicle. Anything looks funny. I've already identified it 10 seconds ago. Provide and protect. That's my job. I take it very seriously. Before we close our, before we, before I lay me down to sleep, I check the locks and I cock the glocks. It's what I do. I'm a protector and a provider. It's what I do. It's what I'm supposed to do. That's my intrinsic value. All that other stuff that we add onto it because of our sitcoms and our soap operas and our novellas and all of that, forget that for a moment. That's my job first and foremost, to respect, protect, and provide. I respect my woman, I protect my woman, I provide. I'm here for that. That's family. And I think we've lost sight of that. We've let these degrees and let these things get in the way and we have this pretty little grid that gets things set to our doorstep so we think, oh, all is well, I don't need a man. It's, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of emotional stamina that goes into being in a relationship and being mad at someone you love and then saying to yourself, you could say, I, I don't need him. You sh are you sure? Are you, are you sure? Because you have, because you're, because you filled up your apartment or your house with a bunch of things to make you feel that you can replace that man. I can provide for myself. I don't need him to provide. I see. Like I told you, a predator sees you jogging in the morning, getting your schedule, seeing you drop that kid off at the school bus, seeing you come in and you're picking up that kid from soccer practice and there's no man around. You look like food. Burglaries and home invasions and things of that nature are at an all time high in the last couple of years. Yes. Record highs. Economic security isn't going to go away. There's a moratorium now. There are going to be more people. On, the moratorium is going to be lifted on these evictions. By the end of the summer, more people are going to be on the street. This country is going through its resets and refreshes. A lot of people are out of work. A lot of people can't afford their homes. I predict more poverty. More poverty inversely leads to more crime. Mm-hmm. When things go bump in the night... What do you do? You call 911 and you hope an able-bodied man comes and takes care of that bump that went in the night. Or if you have a man, fortunately enough, that you, fortunately, if you're fortunate enough to make the right decisions, you, you, you bump him. You hear a bump and you give him a tap. Like, did you hear that? And what does he do? If he's me, he reaches for his freedom and goes. And, and then I go, you go to the bathroom, go into the tub with the phone, 
and call, you know, the authorities. But, you know, being that the average home invasion takes about 30 seconds to three minutes, they're probably not going to be here. But I know one thing I will be. And it's my job to go out there and find out where the danger is. Now, some people are out there going, June, you know, that's that's you're talking about something that rarely happens. Oh, yeah. Okay. What is is the stat like one in 34 homes get burglarized and something like that? Hmm. And obviously women are the are the are the number one um, are the highest uh, victims of, of actual aggravated assault and violent crime and um and robberies. It's women that get robbed. And if you if, if I'm a predator, which I am not, but if a pre- predators see you and they look at you as a victim. And if you're a black woman out there, you're getting 50 to 60 cents on the dollar of every of, of, of a white male and you're only getting you're getting lower numbers than a black male and a, and a and a, and a white female. So even when you're educated, you're still treated at the bottom of the economic strata, even if you get degrees, even if you get all your credentials and accolades and then you still decide to go it alone. It's not a good proposition. So the reason why I'm talking about this is because I have cousins of mine that have gone away from traditional or you know, our, you know, we grew up with powerful women, heads of my household that were professionals and also took care of the house. And the man could beat on his chest and act like he's the man. But he knew that the woman ran that house. He knew he provided. He was there. He's there. But he knew he knows. And so to see a lot of my female cousins get so westernized, Americanized and get you know, become a part of this go it alone gang it, it, it brought me great pause. And I felt that, you know, I was saddened by it because the rhetoric that they have and a lot of them are alone now. They're single in their 40s, single in their 50s. And I'm saying to myself, what, what did you do? And there's no wealth. You know, they didn't accumulate anything like wealth. And it just you don't have a relationship. You didn't accumulate any wealth. What was it all for? You are sold a false narrative. So I'm speaking to not only my family, but I'm speaking to the women that are part of this statistic. And um, I'm hoping to have a greater dialogue. That's why we named it Girl Lost. Are we lost? Is the information we're giving the girls about relationships, about family, about a man, about being, you know, finding that balance between being a professional woman and still being a mother and a wife, a wife first, a mother second, knowing how to be someone who can take care of a home. Not just pass a class. So in any case, on that note, I bid you guys a good night and I hope to speak to you soon.